welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Nails here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debman, and I am joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about bringing the party. We've been talking about who are the people that you walk into the shop that they just bring the party. I believe we called this week's guest by name in that episode, if I we, recall We correctly. may have pointed it out that night. But our guest tonight is Jay Drescher, returning for the third time. And this he is nodded. an audio podcast, yeah, you, have, so to you talk. have to use words. <laughs> I, I have to say that um, it, was, it was great fun to do this the first time or two. And uh, since then, I've had a number of conversations with Shane about conversations and I think it might have been a couple weeks ago we actually got into a a pretty good conversation and I might have made a suggestion that 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 would be something that would be worthwhile addressing on the podcast but I will deny that I was trying to audition for a third appearance. (laughs) Well we always love to have you on and we're going to light our cigars and then I want to talk for a minute about bringing the party. I really want to delve into that for just a minute because that's something that's really exciting about the cigar culture that we're in is how the different people can work and all. So, Trey, I brought you a special gift tonight. You sure did, and you didn't tell me anything about it, and it seems to be have fallen into a black hole uh, into the internet where I cannot find any information on this cigar, but I am really excited to try it. This is the Monte Cristo Nashville series, so this is the special release that you can only get at Casa Monte Cristo here in town. Uh, you have had one. I have not. I've had one. They had a Groupon where you could buy a box of these for like half off. I bought 10 of them for like 60 bucks. Just an unbelievable deal for such a premium cigar. Unheard of. So, very excited to see how your take is on that cigar. I enjoyed it. I don't know that I've formed a solid opinion yet. How's the cold draw? There's a flavor in there I'm getting immediately, and it's more than just tobacco flakes in my mouth. Um, <laughs> but that's most of what it is. I'm, I'm intrigued already. Excellent. I'm very excited to see. And then Jay tonight will be smoking with us. I am. And I have provided Jay tonight a Brickhouse Connecticut. Brickhouse Double Connecticut, actually. So the Brickhouse Company's always been a staple. They're a great cigar company. And this year they released that Double Connecticut. And I know since you're not a daily smoker or to the level that Trey and I smoke on, um, that I wanted to give you something a little lighter, but it would still be complex. So I really hope you enjoy that cigar. I look forward to it. <laughs> so, all right, now it's your turn. So tonight, so I was at Casa de Monte Cristo for my birthday last Wednesday, and I come in, and an employee that will be remain nameless because I don't want to get him in trouble, but he knows who he is. I said I came to smoke the Romeo San Andreas, and he said we don't get those in until tomorrow. Thursday was their big release. And I said, man, are you kidding? I drove all the way up here from Spring Hill. I've been looking forward to it. Today is my 42nd birthday. And he reaches behind the counter like any good magician and produces a Romeo San Andreas. (laughs) And said, I can't even charge you for it. We don't even have them in the computer yet. But please, on your birthday and enjoy this. That's awesome. So I went back on Thursday and bought 10 of them. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so you must have really liked it then. Yeah, I'm, so I'll be smoking tonight the brand new release from Romeo Cigars. It's the Romeo San Andreas. It's a Mexican San Andreas wrapper over Nicaraguan binder and filler. So, and it's just a wonderful smoke. Um, Romeo, they established the Romeo brand because they wanted to separate Romeo from the milder Romeo and Juliet, the more traditional cigar brand. I also think it has something to do with eventually if Cubans do become legal, them taking... Holding the name name. over, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited to fire this cigar up. So, Jay, uh, we're really looking forward to having you back on the show. I know it's been a little bit of of time. Um, I understand you have a little bit of a story for us. So uh, this was kind of teased before the show. Did you prepped him for this, right? Not He's at looking all. at me. Not even in the least. Oh, okay. I don't know that he wanted to talk about. Oh, <laughs> I, the way you talked about it, I thought we had prepped this with our guest. We um, were talking about you not smoking cigarettes anymore. Oh well, yes. Uh, I tried that. I turned sixty last November, and uh, the only time I smoke anything is when I come in the cigar shop. But I was in the bad habit of smoking cigarettes. So I said, you know, people are often offering me cigars or giving me cigar recommendations. It's really a bad habit because I'll smoke a lot of them at one sitting. So I broke it off for a while and then, you know, it only takes one, it only takes one slip up and you're back where you started. Right. Well, I've got a 17 year old son and a couple days ago, his t-shirt at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon was just reeking. And I could smell it from several feet away. He'd been out in the garage sweeping the garage. <laughs> Which should have been your first clue. Right. Anytime a kid is volunteering for chores, they're up to no good. Well, I sent him out there, and he wasn't out there long enough to even sweep the garage. But I thought that maybe he'd been in a car with some of his friends, and that one of them or both of them or some of them had been smoking cigarettes. Because it, was un- it wasn't cigar smoke, I could tell that. Now, I'm very proud of my son because he's very honest, but his initial reaction is he, he made a pretense of smelling his shirt. Then he goes, gosh, it does stink. And he goes, I don't know what that is. So he marched up the steps, and I thought about it. He came back down a few minutes later, and he confessed, uh, which kept him from getting in trouble for lying about what he'd been doing. So then I said, what on earth possessed you to start smoking cigarettes? I learned it from you, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I knew that. That, was a, that. that would have been my first excuse if I was in his shoes. The cigar cast, known for our sensitivity. Right. <laughs> so he said he'd been having a bad month, and I asked him about that. And he said, you know, all my friends think I'm funny. I haven't been funny lately. So we got off on that subject. I said, look. The harder you try to be funny, the harder it is to be funny. Just relax. Don't worry about it. But no, my friends really want me to be funny. They think I'm funny. They think I'm funny. Of course, I know that he's putting way much emphasis on this than he should. But he, my wife will sometimes work on the back porch, and she'll smoke half a cigarette, put it out while she's on the phone or working on her computer. She's a private investigator. So there's a proliferation of cigarette butts, and that's what he's been doing. He's been raiding the ashtray, uh, smoking them down to the filter, which would explain the smell on his T-shirt. And I believe that's, you know, he wasn't buying them. He wasn't having somebody buy them. So uh, this whole story ended with a fist bump. Uh, it was only a two-way, though. We couldn't get my wife in on it. It was, Joe, if you'll promise not to smoke any more cigarettes, I'll do the same. So 
man to man, we made a promise. Then when I dropped him off today after he got his hair cut so I could come back here to do the podcast, I go, well, I hope I don't smoke tonight. And he goes, Dad, I have faith in you. So that put even more pressure on me. Oh, wow. I'm glad to have a cigar. I thank you both for giving me a cigar to smoke because as we were talking about, very often the way to ditch a bad habit is to acquire a new one. And uh, cigars are much more, uh, there's no question that cigars are far, far healthier than smoking cigarettes, even if you're just the occasional smoker. I don't like the fact that I like cigarettes. I don't want to smoke cigarettes. So now that it's being recorded for posterity, I think I'm really boxed into a corner on this. <laughs> I've got my son sitting on my shoulder watching over me as I watch over him. But truthfully, you know, you would never want a kid to pick up the habit of smoking at the age of 16 or 17 like so many of our forebears did. Uh, you know, they struggle and struggle for years and years to quit, and many of them do and have but it's, we all know how hard a habit it is to quit smoking cigarettes. So I wouldn't wish that on my, well, I can't say that I wouldn't wish it on some of my worst enemies, but, you know, I, I care about my son's health and I don't want him to smoke cigarettes. So there we have it. Well, I'm going to commend you on how you handled it. You, you stepped up. You didn't give the old, don't do as I do, do as I say. You stepped up. You treated him as a peer. And I think the day will come that that will reflect back very positively in his life. Well, one hopes so. Um, we talk about this issue of mentoring and parenting quite often, and you know, there's lots and lots of books on it, but there is no one book. And sometimes it's common sense, sometimes it's just what you learned as a kid, which isn't always good. Sometimes you just have to go with your gut. But one thing I think is for sure, the louder you talk, the less anybody hears what you say. Absolutely, especially a kid. Yeah, it just goes in, you know, if you yell and scream at him, it just goes in one ear and out the other. The other thing is, and I learned, my dad used to say this all the time. He used to say, don't, don't do as I do, do as I say. I thought it was funny. But all the bad things he did, I did them too. And kids look up to us as role models, and they don't listen to what we say. We were all teenagers, but they do watch what we do. And that's really, I think, what gets imprinted on their young brain. So... You know, if you tell the truth, they tell the truth. If you yell and scream, they're going to they're gonna grow up to yell and scream. If you beat your kids, they're going to beat their kids. You know, it's just, it's, I've never spanked my son in his whole life, and he's really a good kid. So, um, you know, this kind of relates to what I think we're going to talk about, and that is how people relate to each other, whether they're the same age, different age, related to each other, just the way people carry on a conversation. Well, I think anytime. And I've experienced this. My daughter's quite a bit younger than your son. But uh, anytime you can take a teachable moment like that and end it with a fist bump or a hug rather than slamming doors and walking away, I think that's a success. You've got a dog at home. I do. I I will not say that negative reinforcement is forbidden because there's exceptions to every general rule. But you know, if you're training a horse, if you're training a child, if you're training a dog, positive reinforcement works so much better. And I think it's kind of win-win for everybody. Uh, you, if you, there's, I've, I've talked to Austin about this, who, who owns the cigar shop. If you treat employees like they're just indentured servants, they'll do the work. You know, they'll mop, they'll clean, they'll empty the ashtrays, they'll stock the humidor. 
but I've, I've known this as an adult. Sometimes you just like it when somebody gives you a pat on the back and says, thank you, you did such a good job. I really appreciate what you do. You handled that situation with that customer really well. I didn't expect that you'd be able to get all those products put away last night. Thank you very much. You know, you have to mean it, but it's amazing how even a grown man or a grown woman will relate to that in a positive way. Well, I mean, I, I can speak to that personally. I know that um, there are a few situations in my life going back as far as five years where I can remember an exact scenario, exact conversation with one of my bosses where it was just that. It was handling a difficult situation and being recognized for it. And, and I, will, I will remember who it was. I'll remember the situation and the scenario at, at least another five years, if not the rest of my life. Those things are very meaningful. Well, and one thing that as the American male, if somebody came to me and they said, Shane, I want to teach my son the one skill in manhood that will benefit his life the most. My words to them would be, teach him how to be a male cheerleader. Teach him how to root on his fellow man, how to root on other men, how to say when they do something good, how to acknowledge it, how to be accountable for the things you've done. And I mean, it just, it it makes a world of difference. It's amazing how easy it is and it doesn't cost anything, but how effective it is. Even at my age, if somebody comes up to me after seeing me in court and, and says, wow, you really seem to know what you were doing, you handled that really well, that actually means a lot to me because you don't get that very often. If, you, uh, if you're in a relationship and you paint a bathroom, and even if you do get a little paint on the trim or you spill a few drops of paint on the tile. If you do a passable job and you get praised for it by your significant other, that actually means a great deal. And it works the other way as well. Mm -hmm. When somebody prepares a nice meal, when they make something for you, people just like to get affirmation. And uh, we're often unconsciously really stingy with it, all of us. And it becomes a habit, and that's a good, it's, a, it's good for leadership, it's good for families, it's good with your friends. Uh, you know, and you can actually, one of the reasons it's nice is because you see their reaction, kind of makes their li- eyes light up. Uh, it's just, it's a good habit to develop. It's, it's really rewarding. So, I want to go back to what I started, talked about at the first of the show. When I say Jay brings the party, And um, we've talked about this in the past couple of weeks about people remembering our names and just who you are when you walk into an environment. I don't mean you're the guy that has 20 beers and does a swan dive through a table (laughs) and all. It's It's not the spectacle type party. It's just, it seems like when you come in immediately people circle around you. We kind of keep a holding pattern to see whose turn it is to come up there and sit across from you at the bar and discuss things. Have you ever noticed, do you consciously notice this at all, or is this just something that happens for you? Well, I've noticed it since you've brought it to my attention, but um, I think I've said this and I've said this in some permutation before. I thought about this today. You know, there's some people that go to smoke a cigar, read the newspaper, surf the internet, for whatever reason, they just want to go 
in their comfortable chair and sit there, kind of be unmolested. Then there's people that come in here, hey Shane, I haven't seen you for a while, what have you been doing? You know, what have you been up to? You went on a cruise, you went to Vegas. Who won the poker game last night? Or Trey, I saw that you were getting ready to run a triathlon or you just ran one, how'd you do? There's a social aspect to the cigar shop experience that I think most of the people that come in, if it's nothing more than just saying, hey, how are you doing? But for a lot of us, it's, uh, we talked about this too, Shane, when we were talking about people being held accountable. I read a lot of stuff. I read a lot of books. I read a lot of articles. I read the newspaper. There was a recent article or, or something, probably in a magazine, about circles of, and you can fill in the blank. If you go back to the 1950s, for example, you would have had a lot of veterans. You would have had the Rotary Club, the Lions Club, the Optimist Club. Almost everybody belonged to a church. If I were to ask somebody listening to this to tell me the name of the neighbor that lives to their right or the neighbor that lives to their left, some of them could, but a lot of them couldn't. People had people used to go to other people's houses to play bridge or canasta or gin rummy, or they'd have a poker night in somebody's basement or garage. But there wasn't just one circle, there was lots of different circles. So with peer pressure being what it is, that's a way to be either, either to be positively or negative, negatively reinforced, but it's very powerful. But if you're having a problem and you need help and you just need somebody to talk to, you had all these circles of friends that could help carry the load. And if you don't have that, I told you the story, which is apocryphal, but I suspect that there's some truth to it about the guy in Manhattan many years ago that wrote a suicide note. And he said, if you read this, I'm dead, but I'm gonna walk the length of Manhattan. And if I get to the other end of the island and nobody looks at me or smiles at me, I'm gonna take my own life. Well, the article went on to say that, that in today's society, some of the loneliest people are the, those that live in the biggest cities because they don't know their neighbors and they don't have any circles. They go to work, they go to school, and they might spend all their time watching television or online, but they don't have any circles of friends. And that's one of the things that I was making the point about. The cigar shop, people like you and Trey and others, the people that, that I sit with when I come in, people like Gerald, people like Rob, people like Fred, there's others, but that's, that's a circle. So that... We, we don't recognize, I think, enough how important that is, that interaction with people. There's another thing that you commonly see on the web. I've, I've seen it more than a dozen times. There's a picture of a cabin. It's very bucolic. It's, it's either snowy or it's in the mountains. It's always got trees around it. Could be in the desert. Could be in the high desert. Could be anywhere remote. And essentially it says this. Would you live here for X number of time and not have X, which is usually the iPhone or the internet? And everybody goes, oh sure, oh sure, oh sure, oh sure. What they're, not, what they're not realizing is, it's not the internet, the iPhone, doesn't substitute for human interaction in those circles. What you'd be giving up isn't 
the internet or the iPhone, it's a connection with another human being. That's why solitary confinement in prison is a, is a really severe punishment. It's like sensory deprivation. Some of those guys only get out 30 minutes a week or 30 minutes a day. When they're in prison, I've been in a lot of prisons as a lawyer. I've not spent the night there, but I've been in a lot of prisons. <laughs> That's a very important distinction. Yeah. Glad you covered that up. <laughs> the reason that prisoners want to be in the general population is because they need the same things that we need, interaction with other human beings, even if they're rapists and killers and drug dealers. So when they say, hey, prisoner, if you don't square yourself away, you're going to the hole for a week, that means something. You wouldn't think for a prisoner that would matter, but it's depriving them of the human interaction that we all need, just as we need, you know, we need light, we need air, we need exercise, we need good food, we need a cigar now and then. <laughs> uh, you know, you might need a wife or a woman or another guy or whatever, but you've if you take away human contact, you're taking away something that people truly need to survive, to mentally survive and not lose their mind. Well, and it's like I've said many a times, you know, especially, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the, the health attributes or lack thereof in cigars, especially with all the FDA stuff going on right now. But, you know, people talk about cigars and cigars not being addicting. And I, I've been saying for years that, I could give up smoking cigars tomorrow and never pick up another one and be perfectly fine. What I would miss is not the cigar itself, it's the camaraderie and it's the inner, like for in, in a lot of cases, my coming to the cigar shop at the end of a work day is the social interaction that I get for the day or the week or whatever it is. That's the part I would miss. Well, and it's funny, one of the things I love as, a so, as seeing a social being, actually, Jay and I were sitting having a couple of cigars having this conversation and there was an older man sitting by my wife just pouring out his heart. <laughs> she said she she actually texted me. She she sometimes texts me about things like, "Yeah, he's talking about death. This is getting rough." <laughs> and all and he was crying, but he needed that somebody to talk to. He came here and she happened to be the ear. Well, when she came up to us, I and she started to tell us what had happened. I looked at you and I said, I said, Glenda, on the way home, Shane is going to tell you why that is so important. Because the guy just needed somebody to vent to. I yeah. don't know what his home... I know who the guy is. I don't know what his home life is like or if he doesn't have anybody to talk to. But I've talked with you about this, Shane, that in a relationship, sometimes the other party, your spouse or your girlfriend, they don't want your advice. They don't want your guidance. They just want you to nod your head and listen to them. And after five minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it is, they feel better. It's like they've transferred some of the load to themselves. I've done it too. I've done it too when I was going through a real particularly stressful part of my life. If I didn't have friends I could talk to to, to just listen, to just lend a sympathetic ear, I would have, I would have gone bonkers. Absolutely. I've, I have a, a very good friend that actually is a regular here at the shop that I've known for years and years and years, uh, going back to when I lived in Atlanta. And it's one of, the, one of the ways that we bonded initially was that he was going through a real rough patch and just kind of needed someone to, to, to field some of that, that energy. And then it wasn't much long after that where I kind of hit a bit of a rough patch. And so he he was able to return the favor 
and you know for that reason like he and I are as close as we could go years without talking but it it's it's that that interaction that of, of just having that person to, to field stuff off of well everybody needs to remember life is a team sport you've got to have somebody there that you can talk to that you can vent to one of the great things my wife is wonderful in that she's always a good listener she can sit and hear people and there's a lot of times it's funny because there's a lot of nights that my wife will be one of the only ladies in here mm-hmm. and there's guys that'll sit and talk to her and tell her stuff that they would never admit to myself or to Trey or to Jay or to anyone because she happens to be a female. Yeah. And, I, and there's nothing creepy about it. Everybody is a gentleman to my wife here. I have never had anyone here conduct themselves as less than a perfect gentleman toward my wife. My immediate thought about that is, and again, I, I, I remember well what happened just a few days ago when we were having this conversation. A lot of guys are sort of emotionally aloof, emotionally distant. When they see a woman, they perceive them as being more emotionally available and more in tune with, how the, with sharing feelings. It's, it's just a stereotype, but it's true. It's a Mo- self-fulfilling almost. Well, it is. So they, you're absolutely right. They wouldn't tell things or say it in the same way to a man friend as they would to a female friend or a female acquaintance because they, they're, they're not, I, I suspect that, uh, for example, with a woman, they might not feel like they're being judged, like they're not, well, why don't you man up and take care of business? I've used the other, the other thing that comes to mind is I know a lot of wounded veterans. And one of the problems they have is when they're talking to someone, whether it's in a counseling setting or just in a social setting, they're, they're often very introverted because they don't want to be judged. They don't want to be asked, did you kill someone? Did you see someone die? How did you lose that eye? How did you lose that arm? But when they're around other veterans, or particularly other wounded veterans, it's a completely different dynamic. Because now they're just themselves. They're not worried about being judged. Then they can, they can let down all the little guards that we put up. All those little walls come down, and now, now it's a level playing field. So... You know, that's what we all hope to achieve with our friends. And sometimes just just being listened to, and Trey made a good point. Sometimes you're the quarterback and somebody else is the receiver, but sometimes you're the receiver and the other guy's the quarterback. Because we all go through peaks and valleys every day, every week, every month. Think, things happen. So it's nice to have somebody that you can share that with. And if you were locked up in that cabin in Utah or Sedona or anywhere, most people would would be clamoring to get away from there after a week. Mm-hmm. With or without, again, I have my own thoughts about social media and think that there's a, there's a very limited and useful purpose for it, but it is absolutely no substitute for face-to-face interaction, when it, whether it comes to dating, whether it comes to having friends, it's just, it, it's not the same. It's way out there on the periphery. You have to have, most communication is not verbal anyway. Uh, and that's why if you're talking to somebody on the phone, it's one kind of conversation, but if you talk to them in person, it's a very different conversation. Well, we got to step away for a break. It seems like time flies when we it have does. Jay on. Trey just gave me the symbol for time, and I was like, holy cow. I had no idea. <laughs> 
So we're going to step away for a break. When we get back, I want to talk about a little more cigar news. Rocky Patel was on Fox News this week. We watched the clip right before the show. Got opinions about that. I want to hear Jay's opinion because politically Jay is on a different side than I am. It's kind of strange because we got Jay on one side. We've got me on the other side of the spectrum. And Trey does a great job of kind of being in the middle of that spectrum. Mm-hmm. You don't really commit to, I'm, I'm going to be this side or that side, right or left. Trust but verify. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. I'm one of your hosts, Shane Reeves, sitting across from the pit bull of podcasting, Trey Dedman. <laughs> I, I sometimes wonder where you come up with these. Well, that's actually part of a conversation that I had with our guest, Jay Drescher, and all on the other night. He were talking about people saying they wanted a pit bull for a lawyer. And I, w- I want you to share a little bit briefly your thoughts on having a pit bull for a lawyer. Because you deal, it's mo- mainly divorce law that you end up dealing in at this stage in your career. I've been a lawyer for 36 years. <clears throat> Spent nine years in the Marine Corps prosecuting and defending criminal cases. Anything after that is just a fighting about money. And even in divorce cases, it's just about money. Of course, people are very emotional. So for most, most people think, most people have conceptions about, a lawyer, about lawyers in the legal system, which they've derived from television and movies, or just from talking to their friends. I call it the hairdresser syndrome, but they think that in a divorce case, they want somebody that is going to make the other side bleed from every orifice, that's going to be a pit bull or a bulldog. And that is completely untrue. Number one, it doesn't work. Number two, it drives your fees through the roof. It makes, it makes the whole process stressful for everyone, including the trial judge. And as I've gotten older, I've made mistakes. So I've become wiser. And I was in court with a very difficult client who's no longer a client, but I was in court with a very difficult client recently. And I was talking to the judge, but I was really doing it with the hope that my client would listen and the client did not. But I started off saying, Your Honor, everyone in here knows that compromise and capitulation are not synonyms. The essence of politics, the essence of divorce law, is making rational and reasonable compromises. If you can't make a rational or reasonable compromise, that doesn't make you a bad person, but eventually the judge has to make a decision. And I can promise you that in most of those instances, the decision will make both sides unhappy and every time you go to court, it's a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks or three thousand bucks, depending on how long you're there. And it doesn't matter if you have money to burn. It's just ridiculous. You're doing a disservice for your client if you fight over every little thing. You've got to prioritize, pick your battles, work your way through it. My job is to get people through the one of the worst situations they've ever been in as efficiently and as economically as possible. They used to hire me thinking, well, oh, he's a Marine. You know, he's going to go in there and bayonet him. I tell them that's not the way it works. You get more flies with honey than vinegar. That works in the courtroom, too. 
And judges know the lawyers that will go in there just to jack up their fee. It's a small handful. They don't like them. I want the judge to like me because I'm going to be there next week. I'm going to be there next year and the year after that. I want the judges to like me. I want them to say, well, hey, Mr. Drescher, we haven't seen you in here for a while, which actually means a lot because you're not in here squabbling over a bunch of ridiculousness. And I want my client to know that the judge respects me. I respect the judge. I know what I'm talking about. And if I tell you as a client, this isn't worth fighting over, take your lawyer's advice. You wouldn't argue with your doctor if he said, well, this lung has to come out. Well, maybe it doesn't. I get that. (laughs) You know, get a second opinion. But if I go to the doctor, I'm going to do what the doctor says. When I get my car worked on, I do what the mechanic says. But people get this notion that when your lawyer tells you something, the worst thing that they can say to me is, whose side are you on? That, that will get me really fired up because I'm totally on their side. I'm trying to help them. Sometimes I'm trying to protect them from themselves. But no, that, that pit bull, bulldog mentality is a myth, and it's a very dangerous one. All right, so now justify your original comment then. <laughs> I just wanted to lead it in oh, a segue. Okay. I just wanted to segue into getting to Jay to say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> a lot easier just to get Jay to say that through that method. <laughs> so tell me about the Nashville Monte Cristo. How I'm are you enjoying really it? enjoying this? It is, I, I agree with you, it tastes Nicaraguan. There's, it's, it's got a little bit of a drier mouthfeel to it. It's uh, a little bit on the kind of more, more coffee kind of, it's got a, a rich bitterness to it that I really like. Those are the kind of flavors that I'm a big fan of. Um, it's instrument and it's drawing perfectly. It's just, it's an excellent, excellent cigar. Yeah, I ended up buying two Groupons and getting two boxes of them because basically it was two for one. And just a wonderful smoke. Um, I'm looking forward to more time to enjoy it, maybe on a cruise ship. Seems like on a cruise ship I get a little better out of my cigar. But Speaking of which, that one was running crooked on you in the first half of the show. It looks like you finally got it evened out. Yeah, I've been over here constantly wetting my finger and trying to work it out. It tried to tunnel on me a little, and I stayed calm. I try, <laughs> I hate touching them up with a lighter, so I just gave it the briefest of touch-ups with my lighter, and now I finally got it burning the correct well, I think part of it, is too, is that you're used to doing so much talking on the show, and w- when we have Jay on, he's such a great storyteller, and he just keeps us enraptured. You're actually sitting over there smoking your cigar the whole time, so I think you got a little fast on it and just burned it crooked. Well, and so I did get myself a birthday present. And I'll, what is the name of that Calibri lighter? The Julius. That is the Julius. They had them on, at Tommy Bahamas on clearance. And I bought the Tommy Bahama brand of the Calibri Julius. How in love with it are you? Oh, love it. Love it. It I'm, is the, in my opinion, that is the best lighter that's ever been made. And dual flame, soft flame lighter, just a, a great smoking Great lighter. hand fill. It's got a, a fuel window, which you don't get on soft flame lighters a lot. Uh, it's just a brilliantly made well, and they didn't get all fancy. There's no cutters on this. There's no punches on this. This is just a straight-up lighter, and it's just a good lighter. It just puts a good light on the smoke. I've just, I've really enjoyed it. I'm glad I went ahead and got one because I've seen yours and admired it for a while. So I'm really glad to to get that. Now, is your, yours is an older Julius. Does it still have the dual flame or is it single? Yeah, so all the Julius have the double flame. Okay. So, yeah, I got mine when it first came out. That was actually 
<laughs> I purchased mine as a gift to myself as well. It was after I finished my second triathlon. And so I've had mine for a little over two years now. And so it's it's been or pretty close to three, actually. So it's it's never gone wrong on me once. I think I've had to replace the flint in it. Maybe I've replaced the flint twice. So I'm on my third flint. And I mean, and you know how much I use that lighter and how much I smoke cigars like that's that's tremendous. Now, how do you like the Brickhouse Connecticut, Jay? Well, I, I lit it during the break. Um, I like milder cigars, so I really like it. it. It draws really smoothly for a long cigar. I mean, it's easy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's it doesn't it doesn't burn your tongue or you know roast your palate. So uh, I'm, it may it may heat up some as I get closer to the middle or closer to the end. But uh, so far, I'm enjoying it. and I appreciate it very much. Well, well somewhat controversially, uh, about 2013 or 2012. That got rated like a 92 or a 94. Well, not the double Connecticut, but the regular Connecticut got rated a 92 or a 94 or something like that from Cigar Aficionado. I mean, it was very highly rated cigar. Okay, so this week, Rocky Patel was on Tucker Carlson on Fox News. Is it just me or have you ever heard of that guy before? I had never heard of Tucker Carlson until I saw that Rocky was going to be on the show. Are you, are you kidding? You're not kidding. I'm not kidding. No, he's he's very controversial. Oh, I I don't watch I don't watch cable news. Well, I I need to make this clear. If I said I don't watch TV, that would be untrue. But I come really close. There's a few shows, maybe a sporting event. I I would rather hang out here and talk to people or read or do something else. For years and years, I, I stopped getting my news from television. Mm-hmm. And let's let's be frank about this. Different news organizations have a personality of their own. Different news people have a personality of their own. And it's very easy for them to be accused, wrongly or rightly, of having an agenda. And Tucker Carlson is one of those, for sure. <clears throat> Fox News is one of those news outlets, for sure. Uh, be that as it may, um, I think a lot of people, it, it, this was not by design, but I, I'll use it as an example. For the same reason that they get their impression about what the legal system is like from watching TV, that's where they get their impression about how the whole world works. You know, if you want to be a discriminating and critical thinker and you just watch TV, you're going to fail. You've got to read. You've got to talk to other people. You've got to read letters to the editor. You can't just read memes or tweets. You've got to, you've got to peel the onion back to understand the issue. And I know we're going to talk about some legal issues in a moment, which, which have some political ramifications, but the things that we're going to talk about have broad application to many, many other similar subjects. And the only way to get your mind wrapped around it is to be receptive to what other people think about it, whether it's the writers of editorials, magazine articles, books. Um, If you just watch one newscast and one channel, you're going to get tunnel vision, whatever that channel is. And the the news has become... I I lived in England for three years, and I still listen to BBC on the radio. 
you know, they editorialize, but they give, they give what's going on in Africa, what's going on in India, what's going on in Australia, what's going on in the world. They talk about the U.S. No news organization is perfect. There, there's always a little bit of spin to it. But they actually give you information. They're not trying to entertain you. So we've gone from news shows and reality shows to Jerry Springer's to now it's infotainment. And they're baiting you. They're trying to get you riled up. They're only giving you... One of the things I learned early on about the news is they can give you information that's correct. But if they give you this bit of information and leave this bit out, it's misleading by omission. Sometimes the news media can mislead people simply by not reporting on a story. We wouldn't know about it. So whatever is in the headlines today, it, it changes. We've had conversations in here that can get very intense, not heated, but just very detailed. Whenever there's a crisis, talk about that. Then there's another crisis and another one. I get that. The news media picks up on it. They flan, fan the flame a little bit, and then something else occurs the following week or the week after. But I watched the video before, the, before we went on, on air so we can talk about what you wanted to talk about as it relates to the cigar industry. And I'm familiar with this as when it came up initially a year and a half or two years ago, when it first started to get people's attention. Well, first and foremost, I'm probably as right-wing leaning as anybody else. I own my guns. I love my guns. I believe the, the less involvement the government has in my life, the better off I am. And this was too far that direction. They started it, and I'm, I'm really disappointed. I've got to say, as a whole, I was disappointed with this appearance by Rocky on this show because they started it out with the Obama administration left this in, and then they fed into the emotional, all these people are going to lose their jobs and all that. I don't understand why he didn't just report the facts. Cigars are not the same as cigarettes. They're not the same as tobacco. They're not the same as vaping. They are a being of their own, a being into themselves. There's no additives in your cigar. Your cigar is pure tobacco rolled by an artesian, aged properly, put together, I always say, with love. And I would have loved to have seen him just step up and say that instead of saying, well, this legislation that nobody voted for is now going to cripple the cigar industry and try to drum up an emotional response rather than presenting the facts and letting me, sorry, Trey, another sponsor down, rather than just letting me make my own opinion. Well, one of the things that I, you know, I, I watched it a couple of times to, to try and figure out how I felt about it because at first I was kind of in the same boat. But at the same time, like when you talk about the the artisanship and the mate like that's the emotional argument as well and and for me one of the things I, I i think they chose the representative so perfectly rocky is so so passionate about the cigar industry and he knows his stuff he's been around he bootstrapped his company when he first you know he, this guy knows what's going on and he's he's got so much love and passion for cigars and the industry and his own company that you're never going to get him to talk about it without him getting emotional and i thought that came through really really well i thought you could see or you could sense absolutely how much this meant to him and i thought that was really impactful 
What was your opinion of the interview, Jay? Well, as an aside, I'm, um, I'm looking at a piece of uh, advertising that's on the wall, <laughs> and it says to Stogies, and it's signed by Rocky Patel, so that's kind of funny. Um, going back to what I was saying about the news and how it's presented, it was obvious to me that Mr. Carlson started out kind of with a, a loaded question, and Rocky was prepared to just say whatever he was going to say. But in fairness to both of them, if you really wanted to take this issue and talk about it in, at some length, as we're doing, you'd have, it, you'd have it take up 10 or 15 minutes of the newscast. They can't do that. I want to say that that clip was only two and a half or three minutes long. At the very end of the show. Well, that's a sound bite, basically. That's not, that's not really giving them an opportunity to go into the things that Trey mentioned, or it's just, it's blah, blah, blah. Oh, this is bad. This is, you know, this is how cigars are made. We, this is going to hamstring or handcuff or ruin our industry. How bad is Obama? And then now, uh, now they go to a commercial break. It's very much, it's very superficial. And I think it goes back, you know, let's talk about, like, it being a loaded question, right? I think that's, that's where the whole thing started for me because it was... It was all about, you know, it was very anti-Obama. But really, like, let's, regardless of your feelings on the current administration or the previous or any before, let's talk, let's point the finger where it really needs to be pointed at the FDA right now. Let's not talk about whose administration, who was in charge. Let's, because the people that wrote this, the FDA, that, that it's still the same FDA as it was when this was brought in front of it. Let's point the finger there. Let's focus on them. Let's not worry about all this stuff that doesn't really matter. Well, but, but it's a soundbite. It gets, it gets listeners. And at its heart, you know, we've called a spade a spade on this show. This is a cash grab for the FDA. This is the FDA saying we're going to charge you $100,000 per cigar, per size, to get them put out in the market. This is a, that's hundreds of millions of dollars that the FDA is trying to extract from the premium cigar industry. Here's what... Here's what I would say about the, the subject in the, in the specific sense and in the broader sense. If you really just wanted to report the issue, Obama's name would have not been broadcast at the bottom of the Chiron over and over again like it was something that he did to screw with everybody. The fact that it happened in the prior administration is actually irrelevant to what do we do now. And as I have said many times, there's a fundamental issue in all societies about the scope and reach of government. We have an enormous government. They influence virtually everything that we do in our lives. Much of it is good. You know, it goes back to the 1930s, selling oleo as butter. That's fraud. You can't sell oleo margarine and call it butter. So when you go buy margarine, you're buying margarine. When you go buy butter, you know it's butter. It protects the consumer from fraudulent business practices. I wouldn't want to buy a cigar for $15 that's had a fake label put on it because I'm getting ripped off. And if the government has a regulation against that, I'm okay with it. But there's all kinds of regulations, and you have you have administrations that that are... They start regulating everything, and the government gets really big, and then people react to it. And then you have another administration that wants to 
peel those regulations back, that's what you're having here with this cigar issue. It's going to have an economic impact on the people that smoke cigars, the people that make cigars, and everybody in between. And the question is, it's always a cost-benefit analysis. Are cigars really harming the public? Are they buying something that's harmful for them, that's causing addiction, that's causing disease? Or are they just buying something that's mislabeled? Or is this something that an adult, do you have to be 18 or 21 to buy a cigar? I 18. guess it varies from state to state. Varies, yeah. Yeah. So if you're, if you're old enough to vote, then you should be old enough to decide whether you want to smoke a cigar. If the government says that you can't smoke cigars, then I think all three of us would raise our hand and cry foul. Well, that's ridiculous. And one of the ways you can stop people from buying cigars is you can overregulate it, and the power to tax is the power to kill. If you tax whiskey to a point where nobody could afford it, then all the whiskey distributors would go out of business. You know, alcohol is a popular thing to tax. It probably only costs $2 to make a bottle of whiskey, but you pay a lot more than that because of all the taxes. So it's still profitable, but if you tax it too much, there won't be any whiskey to be had, and people will go back to making it on their own and selling it under the table. That's bad, too. You don't want to buy adulterated liquor, and you don't want to be buying cigars on the black market. So my guess is that it would be a very easy fix for the FDA, because what they can do, they can undo. But Shane, you're going to have to tell me or Trey, one of you, what is the current regulation? What is the gist of it? What's it do? Basically, what it does is the FDA would like to regulate premium cigars. And the way they want to do that is through having to approve not the blend, not just the blend of the cigar, but the blend in every shape it comes in. So Undercrown Shade comes in five different sizes. I don't know how many sizes, but just it's say... It's close to that. Yeah, five different sizes. Well, they want $100,000 for the Rothschild. They want $100,000 for the Churchill. They want $100,000 for the Petite Corona. They want, they want to, instead of just saying, okay, this blend is going to cost this $100,000, and then you sell it whatever size you want, no. Then I'm using $100,000. I don't know the exact number, but that's what I've heard roughly. But are you talking about testing or taxing? Testing. Well, that's what I heard in the report because I knew that from a year and a half or so when this came about. They're trying to make cigar distributors or manufacturers run each and every product they sell through a certain type of testing. And what is the, what is the purported aim of the testing? There hasn't been one that we've been able to see. What are they testing it for? Well, they set, they put out a, um, it's called an APR, it's an inquiry last week about finding out how to regulate the nicotine levels in cigars. How can you l- regulate nicotine levels in anything? Well, that's what I would have assumed. They're wanting, to, they're wanting to saddle the manufacturer with the burden of having each and every product tested to determine what tar and nicotine or whatever else is in the product. Correct? Correct. Ish, ish. Yeah. Well, obviously, if you are a manufacturer, whether you're big or small, of course, it would have a bigger impact on the smaller ones, presumably. You could actually put people out of business because they could say, you know, we only sell four cigars and we can't afford to have them all tested, so we're going to have to close up. And that's what a lot of people think is going to happen. Well, that and, would happen. And it, and it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're basically saying that the FDA is going to kill the craft cigar business. The people that are in the craft cigar business are going to bear the brunt of this and going to be going out of... They'll end up with two choices. They can either 
collaborate with a bigger company. They collaborate with Drew Estate, which has Swisher Suites that already has all the testing facilities and all that because of their machine-made product. So they either have to go under Drew Estate's umbrella or they have to go out of business. Well, the other thing they can do, which is common, you know, I represent Ford Motor Company. Uh, most people are aware of the fact that every once in a while something bad happens with a product and they get the dog poop suit out of it. I guarantee you that every Ford product, and I drive a Ford car, but every car you buy comes with an extra 100 or 2 or I don't know what the number is. It comes with an added cost. That money is then earmarked to pay lawyers and lawsuits when something really bad happens to someone. But obviously Ford makes a load of cars. So they can do that, but they pass on the cost to the consumer. So if I only made 100 cars a year and I had to put four airbags in it, I might not be able to make that car and sell it because nobody would buy it. So back to the cigar. If you only make four or five cigars and you only sell 100,000 cigars in a year, which I'm just making this up because I don't know, they might try to pass on the cost to the consumer and now nobody's buying their cigar because they're not willing to pay $14 for a cigar that they used to pay $9 for. Right. So then it, then it becomes a consumer issue because it prices both the consumer and the seller out of business. So it, it would favor the bigger cigar manufacturers because I'm guessing that a company like Rocky Patel they could probably afford to do the testing, but the cigar prices would go up. And that then affects all people that smoke cigars. And then you get into, well, how many people smoke cigars and how many cigars do they smoke and what impact does it have on the public? But now set all that aside. The real question is, is there a health issue that needs to be addressed? And I think if you go back, you told me this the other day, why, 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 and why? If you, if you go through that process, and you get down to the fundamental issue, the premise might be false in and of itself, and that is the cigar you're smoking, the cigar Trey is smoking, the cigar I is, they're all the same, they're all cigars, but they're all different because they're made differently, they have different wrappers, they have different content, the tobacco comes from a different place, but basically, we're all three sitting here smoking a cigar. And if it's not gonna kill me or increase the likelihood of my early demise, then I say, you know what? They're they're fashioning a remedy, but there's no problem. Or, that's the, that's the fundamental thing that I'm seeing. There's or no problem in the first place. And and you know the libertarian in me says, you know, all right, let's let's say that there is a known health risk with cigars. Let's who who is it to tell me that that I if it's as of right now still legal to enjoy a cigar. It, I'm the only one at harms, and I'm making that conscious decision. It's the same as in Florida and Arizona and a number of other states. You can ride a motorcycle without a helmet. Now, as someone who used to and will again at some point ride a motorcycle, even if it were not required, I would wear a helmet every time I got on one. So, But that's a choice that I make, regardless of what the laws happen to be in that area. The same thing to me applies for seatbelts even though I wear it every time I get in the car, I, even if it weren't required, I still would, but I would also still continue to smoke cigars as well. Even if some information were to come out that said it significantly shortens my life expectancy, even though there haven't been any studies specifically on cigars that have proven that. 
there's another thing that comes to mind, and I want to echo what you just said. Whatever, whatever someone's opinion may be about motorcycles and helmets, cigars and the government, it's a choice. You make a choice to ride a motorcycle or not. You make a choice to wear a helmet or not. In some states it's mandated, in some it's not. But there's a theme here, it's all about choice. If we assume that cigars have certain things that might pose a health risk, that was known long before this regulation came into effect. Nobody's making Shane Reeves smoke that cigar he's smoking right now. You're choosing to smoke that cigar because you enjoy it. There may be some risk involved, but you don't want the government to make that choice for you. That's, what you, that's where we're getting down to the bone. Mm-hmm. The government shouldn't be able to say, well, Shane, you can't smoke a cigar, or you can only smoke this cigar, or Jay, you can't smoke a cigarette, or you can't drink a beer, or you can't. Prohibition was one of the greatest failures of government of all time. That's an object lesson. People are going to do what they want to do, and the government shouldn't be able to make that choice for them. Well, and I mentioned it a little bit a couple of weeks ago or last week, I don't remember which, about how prohibition is never the answer. You know, it failed spectacularly with alcohol. It's the war on drugs is failing spectacularly. I mean, prohibition just doesn't work. Well, and it all comes back to personal responsibility. When I light a cigar, I am choosing to take whatever chance, whatever risk comes with that. Just like when I bring my wife in here, you know, I said earlier, my wife comes in here, I've never had anybody not treat her like a perfect gentleman. That's not because I'm six foot two, 300 pounds and chiseled like a Greek god. It's because... It doesn't hurt. (laughs) Doesn't hurt. But it's not because of that. It's because the people in here have a personal responsibility. That's Shane's wife. We're going to treat her with the respect she deserves. And other women that come in here are always treated with the respect they deserve. And it's, it's personal choice. And I think that's where it's at its best. I don't think the government has any business in any of that. Well, again, I'm, I'm, only, I'm not afraid of much. I'm not, I, I don't claim to be heroically fearless. But I'm, I'm afraid of motorcycles, trampolines, and swimming pools. Spoken like a true lawyer. And that's, that's part of the reason. I've never seen a trampoline that didn't cause somebody to dislocate a shoulder, break a collarbone, or worse. Every time I see a swimming pool, I think of the story I see in the newspaper every, every summer about the neighbor kid that wanders into the swimming pool and drowns, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, the visiting neighbor. You have to be responsible when you're on a motorcycle. You have to watch out for other drivers. I have lots of friends that ride motorcycles, with or without a helmet. That's on them. I'm afraid of motorcycles. I've had a lot of friends killed on motorcycles. I wouldn't have a swimming pool. I like swimming pools, but I wouldn't have one. And I can bet you a million dollars that you couldn't give me a million dollars if I had little kids in my family and have a trampoline in the backyard. Putting those nets up doesn't change anything. (laughs) But when you're talking about something as relatively harmless as a cigar, I mean, even Mark Twain could only smoke when he was awake. You know, he could only smoke them so many in a day. But he knew what he was doing, and the government had, if the government had come in and said, Mr. Twain, we're going to limit you to five cigars a day. He would have given them the single finger salute for good reason. And that's kind of what we're talking about. What the government is doing is based on a false premise. It's overreaching. 
and it should be undone. And part of the reason is, A, to allow the consumer, the adult consumer, to decide what he or she wants to smoke and how often they want to smoke it at a reasonable price and not put a lot of these mom-and-pop cigar manufacturers and distributors out of business because they can't meet the requirements, which shouldn't be there in the first place. Well, we're coming up to the end of the show tonight. It flies by. And before we go, I would be remiss. I want to talk about your books for a minute. And all Glasby's Fortune's still out there. James H. Tresher, I've read it. I love it. I really enjoyed myself. I recommend anybody go to Amazon and buy it. And or just come come here by Crown Cigars. I've never seen you come in here without a copy in your hand. I usually keep one handy so that I can sign it and, and, and gain gain maybe a new reader. I really appreciate your kind words. It was great fun to write the book. Um, trying to write a second one, it's 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 a lot harder than I. The the bite I've bitten off is bigger than I'm than my dentures are able to get my mind wrapped around it. Are you still in the research phase, or are you starting to put pen to paper at this point? I've read 32 books on the American Revolution. I want to write a sequel that involves some of the same characters and then bring it up to the to the revolution in 1775 to 1783. So I've learned all this cool stuff about George Washington, what it was like in America then. You know, there's a lot of myths, very prevalent myths about the revolution. Uh, we all grew up with those. But the real story is always far more interesting. So I'm writing in the form of letters back and forth, because now my main character is an old man. And he can't be everywhere anyway, but he can write letters to people like Alexander Hamilton, Thomas Paine, George Washington, and uh, I want to I do another historical fiction, but really focus on what the revolution was really about and how nip and tuck it really was and how, how it could have gone either way. Uh, but it's, uh, it's probably, I've, I've set myself a deadline of July 4th, to finish my rough draft, and then maybe by uh, very between, auspicious. Yeah, well, that was not by accident. <laughs> you got to have deadlines, or nothing ever gets done. And then I want to try to finish the book by the end of the year, maybe by Thanksgiving, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. But no, a lot of people have read Glasby's Fortune and have enjoyed it, and I'm very pleased with that. You know, it kind of gives me permission because that's not my real job is to be a writer. But when people read it and enjoy it, that's like I said earlier, it kind of brings us full circle. You know, I'm not going to sell a million books or even 10,000 books. I'm not going to sell thousands and thousands of my book. But when somebody says, hey, a friend of mine gave me this book or recommended the book and I really liked it, that's, that's the reward that I really like the most, is when people do what you just did and, and say they enjoyed it, because that's really what I was trying to do. Well, been a great podcast. Thank you, Jay, for coming on the podcast, talking to us about it, and sharing your insight into the cigar regulations. Um, everybody can get a hold of us email us at info at thecigarcast.com or you can go facebook.com slash thecigarcast or on Instagram and Twitter at thecigarcast did I do that right Trey? yeah you did All right. I'm impressed so let me see if I can do it right so that wraps it up for we're going to trade jobs tonight that wraps it up for this week's episode everybody have a great week smoke a cigar and think well of us (laughs) 